1: Today is April the sixth, twenty twenty, and this is episode two thousand six hundred and thirty-three of the Survival Podcast, and uh, it is a Monday, and we're gonna do our regularly scheduled show today. Listener feedback for four six twenty. There's a little bit of stuff on COVID in here, but it's blended in. It's not gonna have an intro segment like I've been doing lately, where we go deep into any one specific topic regarding the pandemic. Like I've said from the very beginning of this thing, I do not want to be all COVID all the time, even though we are The Survival Podcast, because there's other things to talk about. Um, I know some of y'all are stuck home and all, um, but that's a good time to think about the future and start doing stuff. I got a lot of stuff done this weekend. I'll start out by telling you um, some of the things I got done this weekend. Uh, Saturday, I spent most of the day working on tax paperwork. And I didn't want to. Who the hell ever does? But I did because it was very cold and very rainy. And I know some of y'all will laugh at me when I say, you know, 41 degrees is cold. But 41 degrees and blowing wind and, and lots of rain is pretty damn cold and miserable to be working outside. And, yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but I left. And I went to Texas for a reason. It was a lot nicer yesterday, so... We did a supply run. We did the pickup thing at a local grocery. That worked out really well. I don't know why everybody's not doing that. And we were only able to get so much from each grocery of what we wanted. We, we really didn't need anything but what we wanted. And I wanted to kind of get uh, a feel for what this is all like for those of y'all that need to rely on it. So I did a pickup at Walmart yesterday, and I did a delivery from Tom Thumb today. I have to say, everything went perfectly. I've heard some bad stories, and I guess depending on what market you're in and what's not available, it may may be the case that you have some problems. Walmart had three items that I was able to order, but they were not able to deliver, and they emailed me in advance and said, we've already adjusted your bill, and it, it was what it was. Tom Thumb was able to deliver everything that we ordered. Uh, Tom Thrum, the lady came in a box truck, really nice box truck with side panels and stuff and unloaded everything and we carried it in and washed our hands and, um, my pro- policy right now is if it doesn't need to go in a refrigerator, when it gets to our house, it gets taken out into the garage. It gets set on a, a, an area where we know when it got there. Like this stuff is from Tuesday, and we just don't touch it for four or five days. I know you read, "Oh my God, COVID gets survived. Just relax. Just relax. Most people are just using that stuff right away. Uh, and if it's something that can be sprayed or whatever, we use a, a you know a two percent bleach solution, and we spray it with a spray bottle of bleach. Um, And it's just a simple, easy, extra thing to do. I did notice when we went out on Sunday to pick up the stuff from the Walmart pickup, a lot of people wearing masks, uh, quite a few people wearing gloves. Uh, Not many people that you see on the Internet wearing, like, giant bottles on their head or any kind of retarded stuff like that. Uh, Overall, it seemed pretty well-ordered. Walmart is funneling everybody in and out of one door. They're controlling the number of people in the store. That's actually putting more people closer together than if you didn't do that. It seems like a bad idea, but it's what they're doing. Uh, I know some other stores are doing it. My understanding around here anyway is Albertsons, Winco, et cetera, most of those are not doing that. And I think it makes a lot of sense to not do that because when you create a line, you create congestion. Um, I, I think that it is possible before this ends, depending on how long it goes, you might see a return of a policy we had during the gas shortage of the 70s. A lot of y'all too young to remember those days. I was pretty young, but since my dad ran a gas and tire shop, um, you know, I paid attention to it more than I think the average kid in, in grade school would have. Um, what they had back then was if your, if your license plate ended in like, I don't remember exactly, but it would have been like if it was a letter A through M or an odd number. Then you could get gas on odd days, and if your um, if your license plate uh, ended or began, I don't remember which one it was, but it was end or begin, one or the other, on an even number or N through Z, then you get gas on even days. I can see them like having like you know, there's a lot like at Costco they check for your uh, membership card. I can see them having somebody at the front checking IDs at some point, saying you know, uh, A through M is odd days, and N through Z is even days for grocery stores. I can see that kind of thing happening. I'm not saying it's going to, but I can see that kind of thing happening. But it does seem like stores are putting in some controls that make some sense. It's resulting a lot more stuff on the shelves. Um we didn't really need it, but I did just see if I could have ordered TP from uh, uh, Walmart or Tom Thumb. Neither of them had it. My son, though, was able in his last supply run to get toilet paper, no problem. He said there was like a giant 48-pack, but it was one of those left, and he said he didn't get it because somebody else might need it more than he did. I think there are a significant number of people starting to think that way. I know we do. If we do any kind of supply acquisition right now, we look at it and go, we don't really need anything, so let's just only take so much of anything anyway that that's kind of the good news on that front um, overall though what I focused on yesterday once we got back was working in my greenhouse I was able to build uh, the rack system for the seven bucket uh, deep water tomato system for hydroponics that I'm doing that got completely done I was able to uh, drill all the buckets and get the bulkheads installed to them and I was going to keep working and I looked at my uh, I looked at my phone and it was almost six o'clock. I said, the hell with that. I'm gonna spend some time with my wife. So we also picked up some on the border to go while we were at and we had some really good margaritas last night. And uh, on some levels I'm just refusing to be part of this pandemic. I'm being smart. You know, we 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 are smart about how we interact with people, which is pretty much not at all. Um, my biggest risk still remains the fact that we are taking care of my uh, grandkids every day but I don't have another choice uh, if my son and my daughter-in-law both are working for essential businesses and that means they stay employed um, so we're doing what we can and, and in the end you know uh, I think the words of John Pugliano ring true here I'm a prepper not a pretender and if you are a prepper you should be getting through this pretty well Pretty well, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Anyway, before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today is Safe Castle Royal. Um, I'll tell you, if you go to Safe Castle Royal, a lot of stuff that they sell right now you can't get. I mean, they've been hit as hard as anybody. Um, but check them out anyway, and remember, you know, if you'd gone there three, four weeks ago, you could have got anything you wanted and been well prepared. Safe Castle's like a superstore for everything prepping. They're also the original Survival Podcast sponsor. Been with us since the very first time we took a sponsor. This is over ten years now that we've had Safe Castle Royal sponsor us. Sponsor day number two, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. You can get a Berkey anywhere, but the Berkey guy is the person you should get it from. Why? Sponsored this show almost as long as Safe Castle, like nine and a half, almost ten years. Um, takes care of you guys really, really well. Great pricing. Customer service service ethic through the roof. He has some other stuff for your prepping needs. You'll find it all at his website, since he's terrible at branding. Uh, he's Jeff the Berkey Gleason, but his website is directive21.com, directive21.com. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start out with a uh, quote of the day. And I was thinking about the fact that for a lot of people in this country – this is a struggle, and as I said last week, on some levels, the first time we've been tested is like a whole in in the in the lives of almost every living American. Very few Americans alive today can really remember even, let's say, World War II, where we under rationing, or the Great Depression, and those that do are mostly were very very young, and they have a skewed memory. I guarantee you, a four year old is going to remember the, the, this differently than than a than a twenty year old will, especially 30 years from now. It, it, for a four-year-old, it'll be very, barely a blip on the radar. But we are being tested, uh, tested as we were during the 1919-1920 flu pandemic, tested as we were during World War I, tested as we were during the Great Depression, tested as we were during World War II. And I'll tell you what, we're not being tested as much as any of those, but we're tested in the way. But what we're really dealing with now is a struggle that's collective, a lot of people hate that word, collective, because they think of socialism or whatever. Collective is just a word. And collectively, the people of the modern world are being tested right now. I find it actually interesting, going along with this quote I'm about to give you, that the people of the developing world largely are not being tested by this. There's a lot of suspect to that, like it's hotter in most of the developing world. Um, you know, they, they maybe they are getting hit and we just don't see it, but I mean... Most of Africa, you're not seeing much um, COVID problems. Uh, A lot of places where people struggle all the time are not seeing much of it. And, And the quote of the day is from Frederick Douglass, who said, if there is no struggle, there is no progress. And I'm wondering if our progress has been such that it was necessary to have a struggle. And I know you might be thinking about all the progress we've made from technology with the Internet and so many things that we have available to us now, uh, medical developments, etc., cetera, um, that we didn't have even 10 years ago, let alone 20. If you went to prison 25 years ago, and let's say the pandemic wasn't going on, let's say you got out six months ago, the world you got out into, I don't think we realize the technological marvel it would be to someone that hadn't seen it yet. Is unbelievable. So you might feel like there's plenty of progress. But I mean progress as people. We've become weak. We've become fat. We've become poorly nourished. We've become lazy. We've become apathetic. I mean, we really have kind of languished. And I'm not just talking about America. I'm saying the developed world. Life has gotten really, really easy. Maybe it's coincidence, or maybe it's karma, or maybe it's biology and evolution. But maybe COVID is here to give us something to struggle against so that we can begin to progress again. I do think that the average person will come out of this with a little bit of a different attitude toward life. I think they'll make a lot more preppers. But see, prepper in of itself isn't really the point, is it? It's the mindset that makes someone a prepper in the first place. If you're a prepper, that means you're proactive, in many aspects of your life, not just preparedness, because you're thinking about tomorrow versus today. Maybe the reason we're not progressing very much is everybody's thinking about today, what I have now, instant gratification. How can you progress? For all the, for all the use of the term progressive with leftist politics, how can you progress? And There's a part, again, another perfectly good word. We don't need to be afraid of because it's been bastardized by a political movement. How do you go for progress when you're only thinking about now? And the answer is you don't. Maybe that'll be something that good comes out of it. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. So see struggles as an opportunity to progress in your own life. Um, with that, let's go ahead and get into the questions that I have for t- you got from you guys today. Remember, if you want to send me a question for a show like this, jack at of dot Sometimes people are like I didn't know your email. I have the most public email of any personality on the planet. It's a re- real email. It goes into my real email box that I read, and I don't have a screener or a PA or anything like that. I used to when I was in sales. I had a PA that filtered all my shit. Right when I went into this, this is a personal business. I don't do that. That doesn't mean I'm going to respond to every email, but I generally read every email. There's one thing you can do to make sure that I at least know your email is for the show or because of the show, and that is put TSPC in the subject line. So do that. Put TSP in the subject, TSPC in the subject line. Send the email to jack at com And then kind of clue me in as to what you're doing. Story for Jack, question for Jack, article for Jack, something like that in the subject line. And if it's a long one, man, make your point or ask your question in one or two sentences, and please use the return key. I'm going to tell you right now, I have one eye that I can see out of. And if you send me a jumbled block of text, like a thousand words without a paragraph break in it, I'm sorry, I don't care, it could be the formula for making gold. Uh, out of lead. I'm probably not going to read it. I can't read it. It hurts my head. So make sure you put some paragraph breaks in your... And that's, that's a good... You got, my wife says the same thing when people post shit on Facebook and they put like 400 words without a single paragraph. I can't read this. So just a suggestion there as an aside. Anyway, um, the first question today comes from Marson. Now, Marcin says, thanks for your sermons about the keto diet. I've lost 10% of my body weight after eliminating carbs. Question If we cannot eat keto, how do we peak least bad foods to consume? Details if you had to rely on long term storage food either in a disaster or prolonged quarantine or just personal economic reasons, what should be consumed first to minimize the impact of those food? Are beans better than grains? Is rice better than wheat or pasta? Do we eat a little bit of each? Would it be better to alternate keto and non keto meals? any particular way of preparing those food to make them less bad. Of course, in a real shit hit the fan, nobody would care anyway and be happy to eat whatever they had. Thank you, Marson in California. Uh, well, let's take this two different ways. If you're living on stores because that's what you have to do, I think the best thing that you can do to prevent it from causing you too much trouble is good old-fashioned, not caloric restriction, but caloric limitation. So once you're in that mode, okay, of I have to use the food that we've stored being re- religious about your dietary regime is going by by the very nature of you've kind of let that ship sail right now I don't have the things I need to eat keto so you want to then figure out what your daily caloric requirements are and then because at that point we're also rationing so if you needed to lose a little weight during that time maybe you run at 15 20 uh, 15 to 10% deficit of your caloric yield. So you just calculate that the way you would for keto if you're doing caloric restriction with keto. And I would say somewhere in that neighborhood and you know if you start to lose more weight than you need to then you can go up to your daily requirement. And that's that will help with the weight. It, it, it unfortunately may not help with some of the other things, but most diets are okay. If we don't over consume the problem for most people, not all people, but most people, when they try to live on a diet that is mainly carbohydrate based, it is very difficult to not over consume. And the more refined those carbohydrates are and the more simple those carbohydrates are, the more that's the case. And the more we restrict fat in those diets, the more that's the case. So we want to continue to put some fat in the diet if we're doing that. But what we do not want to do. So that's, that's just how you have to look at it if you're living off your preps. And your preps happen to not be keto. Okay? That's all you can do. Now, you're in a place where we're making strategic decisions. What you must not do is a diet that is not carbohydrate-restricted and high in fat. You are literally killing yourself if you do that. If you made me pick between a high-fat, high-carb diet and a a high-carb, low-fat diet, I'm going to go high-carb, low-fat, and I'm going to manage my calories. You have to. I have a family relationship here where they're a married couple, and the female in this relationship is doing keto my way. She's having great results. Her husband doesn't want to do keto, but is eating the keto food for dinner. He's gained as much weight as she has lost in the same period of time. You cannot combine the two. If you're going to be getting 65, 75 or more percent of your calories from fat, you cannot be eating carbohydrates and do that. That is the sad diet that involves Cheetos and all the other crap and processed foods people eat. You absolutely can maintain reasonably good health on a carbohydrate-based diet If you restrict your fat and your calories. And you can do better for most people, in my honest opinion, doing that keto with high fat, moderate protein, low carbohydrate. The two do not go together. Switching back and forth day to day, you're probably going to screw your body up. I don't have a problem with people that are keto that occasionally take a cheat day. Yesterday, like I said, we went to On the Border. I ate real tortillas and chips and salsa and their queso. And I drank margaritas, and I'm sure I had more sugar in it they should have. I'm done, though. I won't do that again for three or four weeks. And that's not going to derail you. That's a treat. That's different than what you're asking. The middle ground here, and it's it's difficult to do with a lot of the long-term storables because you're still really going more to fruits, vegetables, and more vegetables than fruits – and no juice. Juice is bad. No fruit juice. No vegetable juice. Um, then you're. I mean, if you if you throw some greens or something into some sort of concoction and it's juice, but it's really pulverized. It's different than what I'm talking about. Carrot juice is poison. It's pure sugar, right? But the hybrid between the two worlds, which is going to also be fairly restrictive on carbohydrates as a whole, is going to be paleo. And so those are kind of your choices. You do the nutritionist nirvana dream of the low fat, high carb diet with no processed foods. You do paleo or you do keto. I think anywhere in between any of those, you get the combination of effects and if you and if you don't mind the the calories, you're going to kill yourself on the high carb diet. Literally, over time, you will break down. But again, in a shit at the fan, you eat what you have to eat. I would still manage caloric intake because you need to ration what you have anyway. On, if we're going to talk about if you're doing carbs, what to stay away from, are beans better than grains? I would say if prepared properly, cooked properly, yes. Um, Is rice better than wheat or pasta? I would say in general, yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do we eat a little bit of each? No, <laughs> right? That, I'm, I'm telling you, um, stay away from, stay away from wheat, stay away from wheat. It's probably, it's not just some of the problems that it creates. It is one of the biggest triggers to eat more food. It causes you now. If right now it's what you can get and you're living on preps, eat it. Half the world lives on it. But that's just kind of trying to balance nutritional advice here uh, along with the uh, the need for acceptance of the reality that we're in. I've always said, like when people say, well, how do you prep if you're going to be keto? Well, get a, get, a, get a couple freezers and a frigging um, generator. But go ahead and store those beans and rice, and if, if, if the meat runs out, eat it. I mean, you're not expecting shit hit the fan to go on forever. Those of you that think this is going to go on forever, too, you need to... I don't know, some of y'all just find a window and jump. I mean, the way some of y'all talk. Uh, It's time. We're going to be locked down for 18 months. The whole world's going to die. Jump. Jump and reduce the hospital load. Go find a tall building. Mind nobody. And the streets are empty. Right? Just plop. Um, But the good news is... I took a look at the case rates coming out of some of the hot spots in Europe that got on the restrictions that we're under right now before us. Uh, Most notably, um, France, was it France? No, Germany, Spain, Italy, and Switzerland. They're all on the backside of the curve right now. Their new case rate is in decline, and it's slowly declining steadily, and you're going to see it just plummet. We're going to do the same thing. We'll be a couple weeks behind them because we waited a couple weeks longer before we did it, and we also had a couple more weeks before it really got here, especially in a lot of places. And you're going to see that places like Dallas-Fort Worth are going to have some bad weeks ahead, but we're going to look nothing like New York City. And and, and the reason for that is really, really simple. New York City has 8.6 million people in 300 square miles. Dallas-Fort Worth has a lot of people, 7.2 million people in like eighty 8,300 or 8, 9,300 square miles, I think, is what it is. That's a difference. Well, we're getting a case against high-density settlements here. I've been saying that. Let's move on. Um, John of Baby Loves Farm says, Sorry to wear you out with questions. No, nah, man, John, send them on in. Uh, which do you think is best, aquaponics or hydroponics? I've been thinking about trying to get an SBA loan for my farm business and buy a hydro or aqua system. I'm thinking I can grow all my leaf greens and lettuce in the system and free up my beds in the garden to grow more variety. I just thought I would try to get your opinion since you've done both. The last two weeks, my business has spiked. I'm doing home deliveries and having people reach out to me on a daily basis. I know you're a busy man. Understand if you can't answer. Thanks, John. Well... The first response I would get to hydroponics or aquaponics, which is better, would be, it depends. But you've given me what it depends on. Commercial production for someone who wants rapid product development for a booming business to free up other locations to plant other things. I will say for you, the answer is ding, 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 hydroponics. Right now, this instant, it is the better choice for you. You should do just that. How does that change if the It Depends change? I think from an environmental standpoint, aquaponics is a better system if we're judging it for environmental reasons. If we're judging it for sustainability long-term aquaponics, because it uses all natural systems. If we're judging productivity, the learning curve, the guarantee of production, etc. hydroponics. And the reason is simple. If one determines that there is a deficiency in something in a hydroponic system, all one does is add it to the system. That's it. That's all you do. Now, what mitigates this? An aquaponics system, if you're primarily going to be growing greens, is about the easiest thing to do with aquaponics. When you start wanting to grow tomatoes and peppers and everything, there's a lot more uh, diversity in nutrient requirements and things like that. Um, but let's just also look at it this. way: You have a business where you're spiking. What you'd like is more product right now. And then you can go to more long-term crops in the ground for long duration. If you're going to do aquaponics, you're going to set it up. And maybe a month from now, you'll start really having enough of a cycle running to start growing some food. If you do hydroponics, the day you turn it on, you can start planning. You see how that works. So, ease of production, ease of the learning curve, reliability, dependability. My experience has been that hydroponics wins, 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 and wins. It's not as good for the environment, but it ain't that bad either. And it's what I would do. And I would say, John, hold on to the end of the show. I'm going to talk about... The way you might be able to take a loan here, use it to pay yourself, and use other money to do this expansion, and not ever pay the money back. No, I'm not kidding. That's going to be our final segment of today. Uh, Next up, Chris says to me, Should I be concerned about chickens eating my BBs? That is the first time I've ever had that question. I, I, I Literally, when I read that, I turned my head like a confused German shepherd that heard a weird sound. Huh? Then I read the details. I just got an airsoft pistol so I can train in quarantine with my wife in our Garland backyard. We have six plump Australops and Cochranes. Should I be concerned with them eating a biodegradable 6 millimeter BBs, or do I need a plan so they don't get in the target practice space when we let them out of the coop? Thanks, so they saved Chris from Dallas. Okay, I have fired tens of thousands of rounds, and if you ever get yourself a professional training rifle... Uh, AR style, that has 40 round magazines, that's gas blowback, you will too, because it's just that much fun. And I have a lot of semi-autos and gas blowbacks, and I have an AR that is really, really fun. It also makes big, giant predator birds that should not be around my property, that I'm not allowed to kill, fly away without hurting them, and they don't come back because they don't like it. You get a 40-round burst up your butt, you tend to go, this place is a bad place. Between the dogs and that, it's been useful. I'll leave it at that. Um, now, I have never seen a chicken eat a BB. I did not have a large chicken flock, and I've never seen a duck eat one either. I have three little bantam hens, and I've not seen them eat any BBs. I don't notice a lot of BBs, and my target practice gets kind of spread out around the property. And I have... Three acres, though, I mean, most of my shooting gets done on about an acre. You have a much smaller backyard, you could have a high concentration of BBs. I could see a chicken, like, looking at that sucker and picking one up and and eating it. I don't think it will be a problem. I don't think it will be a problem. Because I think that chickens tend to not eat things that do not benefit them, or they would all be dead by now. There's all kinds of things. Now, might they see it as grit or something, and might it possibly be a problem I don't know. I would keep an eye out for it. I will tell you this, though. If you want to collect your BBs, it's not hard. There's a couple ways you can do it. One is you can shoot at targets that are basically paper targets um, with a box with kind of a heavy backing. And at most 90% of them will stay in the box. In fact, you can take the two flaps of the box and kind of shape them at like a 35, 40-degree angle inward like a bullet trap. And that really will collect a lot of your BBs for you. It's not as much fun as shooting reactive targets. I I really like shooting the, um, like the one gallon apple juice bottles. They're about a perfect representation of the, 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 you know, critical area of a human torso. That's kind of why I like them. And they thump for you and they, but they don't fall over. So you get a nice feedback that you've hit them. Um, what you can do is, is come up with a, a place, hang something up akin to a clothesline and then get a blanket or a sheet and kind of let it just drape to the ground, maybe put a couple rocks on it so it has a nice bowing arch in it. Set your targets in there. And 90% of those BBs will end up on that sheet. When you miss, they'll hit the back and kind of roll down, and when you hit the reactive target, they'll kind of bounce. And some might bounce beyond the sheet, but if you set the area up big enough, most of them will end up on the sheet. When you're done shooting, you can just kind of pull that sheet so that everything goes and dump them out. Now, there's going to be some people that are going to flip out. You're going to destroy your gun. You're talking about a $100 airsoft gun here. Just get some bearings on reality. Um, I have reused BBs a lot, and I have never had a problem. You're talking about a metal tube. These are not highly rifled, highly ag- This is a metal tube. It's basically an airsoft gun is like an automated spitball that shoots a really hard spitball. It's just like blowing it through a metal straw. Now, I might not feed them through my higher-end professional training ones, but your general stuff, I wouldn't hesitate to reuse them. So it might be worth doing that just to reuse them. You can scream and wail and ash your teeth, people, whatever. It's an airsoft gun. All right, next up, firearms question from Brandon. Brandon says, how do I talk to young children about firearms in a house? How were you taught about access at a young age? How did you teach your son? Uh, details. Being an unmarried guy with no kids, this is something I've had, I've had, I've not had to worry about. Uh, I have four guns in my apartment with more in my dad's safe in my parents' house. I keep, uh, my shotgun AR, um, magazine in chamber empty by my night, uh, uh, cruiser ready, magazine in empty chamber. Uh, my nightstand handgun is chambered and my carry pistol is always chambered. At least when on me. Again, living alone, not much of a problem. Well, my girlfriend has a two-year-old, it won't be a while, for a while, I've talked about living together and whether her or someone else in the future, I want multiple kids one day. This has, of course, got me thinking about kids being around guns. Growing up, my dad had guns, but they were all hunting rifles and shotguns kept in a safe. He didn't carry a handgun, so there was never a chance of growing up about having access to a loaded gun or any gun without him supervising until I was 16. So I have no frame of reference to teaching kids about firearms. I can teach them how to shoot. I can teach them the four rules of firearm safety and so forth, but that's about it. In previous shows, I know you've talked about having access growing up, how firearms are not locked up. How were you taught at a young age? How did you talk to your son? Uh, while I could move my shotgun AR and even my nightstand gun to my dad's and, and live in a place safe as an option, My carry gun isn't going anywhere for the first time having a wake-up call. It is something I need to be considering, Brandon. Well, you're right to be thinking about it. I'll give you what I grew up with, and I'll I'll tell you that I am far more restrictive than that. I grew up with almost no restriction whatsoever to guns. And in some ways, I think maybe it was a good idea. We had a gun cabinet. The guns went in the cabinet. That gun went in the cabinet, it was cleared. A hundred thousand million, billion times, there was no way there was a loaded weapon in that gun cabinet ever. Now, those were all hunting rifles, hunting shotguns. Uh, there were some handguns in there, too. We kind of had some pegs that we would hang the handguns on behind the rifles and shotguns. Um, but none of them were protection guns, other than you could certainly go get one if you felt the need for protection. Uh, the ammunition was stored underneath the gun cabinet in the cabinet part that was for ammo and cleaning supplies. They were both there, and it was never locked. And the total number of times I put my hands on a gun when I wasn't supposed to was zero. Zero. Now, I had pretty clean, open-ended once I was old enough to be considered responsible, which was about seven, eight years old. I could go in there and take one of those guns out anytime I wanted and wipe it down with an oil rag and look at it and inspect it and whatever. And no one would say a word. There were also adults in the house all the time. My grandparents were retired. My uncles were in and out of the house. My dad was in and out of the house. I mean, it wasn't really a big deal. And I think that's part of why I never felt the need to sneak a gun. And I've tried to retain some of that with my my son and then my grandson. By the time I was 13, I was running a trap line. And I had a twenty two rifle. And I would just grab my trap gear and grab that rifle and go run my trap line. Or if I was going to go hunting, I would just grab my shotgun and go hunting. If I wanted to shoot in the backyard, i grabbed my .22 or my shotgun, and I went out and shot. I don't think you can do that today without serious risk of getting a nasty visit that you will lose the results of from CPS. But that's what life was like, not just for me, but many of the young uh, people I grew up with. Girls, I don't think girls really would have ever been told no to that. They just weren't. Most of the girls I knew in my teens, were not interested. But that's what a gun... I mean, I could just get a gun and go. What I did with my son was, when he was eight, and my wife and I had just gotten together, she said, no, I'd be okay if you had a BB gun, as long as it was always with you. He had a BB gun in about 15 minutes. and got him a little Daisy 105 pal. And, um, so, I took him out with that gun, and I had him treat that gun like it was a loaded .30-06 that could kill somebody. I taught him how to cross a fence with it. I taught him how to respect it. And I told him, I own guns and you ever touch one without my permission, I will own your ass. But if you want to touch one anytime you want to, all you have to do is come to me. And I will take you to the range. I will let you shoot it. I will show it to you. I will let you hold it. I will let you inspect it. As long as I make sure that it's safe and we learn together, you can always have a gun. This BB gun is your gun. This is your gun. You keep it. You take care of it, it's your responsibility, and when you show me that you can treat this gun the way that you should treat a 030 we'll talk about getting you a twenty two. Now, the way I did that was, I kept all the BBs, and when when we would come home from using it, I would empty it, and I'd say, wipe it down with your oil rag. I had a little jar with a little oil on it. it didn't really need it, it's not going to rust, it's freaking... Eight out of 10 or whatever. But, you know, it, it taught him that and you keep this in your room. I don't ever want to see you point at anything, etc And the boy just did what he was supposed to do. That gun went in the closet. I never saw him play with it like it was a toy. He had toy guns. His friends shot each other with Nerf guns and shit like that all the time. That thing was never pointed anywhere it didn't belong. And a few years into it, was about 10, I got him a little Marlin single-shot twenty-two. We would take it to the range, and I kept that. I kept the guns in a, a locked area. As far as your nightstand gun, I'll recommend, I don't want to say too much about this, I just recommend that you maybe look for a nightstand that has a way to store a gun that unless you knew how to find the gun, you wouldn't be able to find it. There's nightstands that have things like David drawers, you open all the drawers, nothing in there, but if you were to stick your foot up underneath it, hook your foot and pull, there's a hidden drawer in the bottom, something like that. That goes a long way right there. I don't believe a gun can be a valid home protection gun with a trigger lock on it or in a safe. Because if I need that gun in the middle of the night, I need that gun in the middle of the night. Not while I'm trying to figure out what the combination is or find my key to unlock the damn thing. Now, there's biotech safes and all. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. It's not what I've done. With my grandson, I pretty much had the same policy. He's still a bit young to go to the next step. But... I often will go get one of my guns, which I keep locked in a closet upstairs. I probably shouldn't say that, but I mean, how do you have this conversation without saying it? Like they're locked in and locked away. Um, and I will bring down one at a time, and I will tell him the story of that gun. I will let him hold it while I tell him about it. And I will remind him constantly, there's a laser beam coming out of that gun at all times. And if you point it at somebody, you cut them in half of the laser. We don't do that to our friends. And I reinforce that. And I tell him, you do not touch a gun ever without talking to me first. But if you talk to me, you can touch any of my guns you want. To test this theory, I have a Benjamin Crossman style variable pump 22 pellet gun. That boy, even at his age now, probably couldn't get two pumps into that gun on his best day. The pellets are locked away and hidden where they cannot be found. found. It is leaning up against the wall in my dining room. He could pick that thing up anytime he wanted if he wanted to. I've kept an eye on it. You can literally see that it has not moved because of the dust around the stock. It's a test. I'm not suggesting you do this. I'm just saying it's pretty low risk. Neither he nor my little granddaughter have got, put a finger on that gun based on the conversation of you do not touch grandpa's guns without grandpa, but you can anytime you want to. And I think no matter how you decide, because I can't tell you how to manage your own household. But I think that is the key. You don't do it without me, but I will let you. I also think there's a point, and every child is different. But there is a point where if you're home alone and somebody tries to hurt you, you can shoot them. (laughs) I mean, I know that sounds really, really harsh to some people, but it has happened where... There's been several stories over the years of teenagers who have defended themselves or their family with a firearm. Again, I don't know when that discussion happens for any individual. I know that with my son it was about 15. Because that would be an age where you know you might be home alone. So if nothing else, you know where this one gun is. And if somebody breaks in here and is trying to hurt you, you can defend yourself. And again, I know that really disturbs some people. I can't help you with the fact that that disturbs you. What disturbs me more is that my son could have been murdered or raped or kidnapped while the means to defend himself were there and he was not able to avail himself of it. So that that lethal response, um, being ready to take that, has a certain level of responsibility the person has to have before you're willing to do that. But. That's me, man. You Brandon, you gotta take all that and, and distill it down to what works for Brandon. Uh next up, uh this comes from Tom and I'll put links to these two things. He says, like everyone, I've been watching this train wreck called COVID nineteen, doing research to find meaning. Here's some of the things I've discovered, and he has a, a link to a European website that shows a total number of deaths throughout Europe. So the website that statistically summarizes death independent of causation in bulk in Europe. Graphs show the average number of deaths by region at the bottom and by age at the top. Average deaths by all ages in the region at the bottom uh, by age grouping. Though we, though we observe locations of increased mortality locally, Italy and Spain, in general the death trend for Europe in general is near average, as well as under the seasonal death rates December through March. See December 2016 to March 2017, that was very high. And then he says, he gives me a link. He says, New York City is very kind of offered data for all of us to review. The takeaway here, those with other health conditions are at risk and need to be protected. This does not mean that everyone needs to be in lockdown. This will support localized lifting of lockdowns to get the economy, to keep the economy from sliding f- further. Just food for thought, Tom Boreal Prepper in Wisconsin. I want to try to find a balance here because Tom's not doing this But he's edging toward it. But there's a lot of people saying there is no surge, there is no disaster, we don't need to be doing any of these restrictions or what have you. I don't know that we do or we don't. I do know that when we start saying shit like there is no real danger and that there is no surge and that this stuff is fake and that it's the same death as it's always been, we're missing some things. First of all, if you tell that to a doctor to his face right now that's working in an ICU around New York City, he will probably punch you so hard your teeth will fall out of your mouth. I can see that level of anger being reached very, very quickly by people who are watching people die in the hundreds daily while trying to save their lives. Um, And then some people are saying, well, it's just New York. No, it's Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. It's, It's Pennsylvania, specifically southeastern Pennsylvania it's New Jersey, it's Connecticut, it's Louisiana. To a degree, it's Florida in some clusters. It was Seattle, it was Oregon, and it was California. And these restrictions have done what they said they would do. Do we need them to accomplish the same thing is a totally fair question. But let's not write off the underlying problem. On the other side of it, I still contend the following about the underlying problem. Number one, the denominator is much bigger than we think it is. Anthony Fauci said yesterday during a briefing that the number is at least 50% bigger than they say it is. Well, that would mean if you have 300,000 cases that it's 450 minimum. I think that is so, so, so under the number. When you're going to tell me that as much as 80% of the known cases either have very mild symptoms that self-correct or, or even asymptomatic and the only reason you know the person had it is they had close contact with somebody that you know had it so that's why they were tested and you're going to tell me there's only 50% more I think you're being intellectually dishonest and you know it I think the number is much much higher I also think this massive death rate that you get okay, the people who are most susceptible are the ones that you see out of that denominator So it looks worse than it really is. It's still bad, but it looks worse than it is proportional to the whole. And I I will go back to this. If a person has COVID but is asymptomatic and you don't have another compelling reason to test them, like they're in the household of somebody who was diagnosed and is having symptoms, how would you ever find them? And the answer is you wouldn't. And it's intellectually dishonest to infer that you would. And so what that means is you have a great deal of people who have, like, this whole no one's immune is bullshit. There is no disease that doesn't have people out there with some immunity to it. None. If, if that wasn't the case, that everybody would be dead. Everybody on the planet would have died long ago. There's always some level of immunity, even something new, novel, whatever you want to call it. Again, number two is I think that not only do people who are susceptible to this show symptoms right away that are severe or significant. But the people who are susceptible are the first ones to be infected, and therefore the front side of the curve always looks worse than it is. That was my contention from the beginning, and I still believe that. On the other hand, you can't tell me there is no problem when I have a friend who is a doctor in Seattle that when they were really raging there was saying, I'm watching people's lungs turned into hamburger meat. Don't tell me it's not real. You know, and this, this one particular person that I know out there, I've known for about 12 years. I know, I've know i known him longer than that because i knew him before I started TSP. So what? The, the feds got to my buddy in Seattle and said, hey, man, you lied to Jack. I mean, really? Are you that stupid that you think that's the – because I've been like, it's not even real. It's all fake. Yeah, I saw this video, and there were all these empty tents and all. Sure there are because all these places are building surge capacity that may or may not be needed. Now, I do think we're also, see, I think there's a balance here. I do think we're being misled. We're not being told how good things are in some places. People are still flipping out about Washington, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you flat out, in Seattle there's a drive through testing facility that I've had daily reports of one dude in a hazmat suit looking bored or testing one person in a car. Daily reports by a reliable source that that's what's going on there. Why? Because the restrictions worked. And there's a balance here. There's a balance here, and I think we still have yet to find what that balance is. But this is what I expect. If you want to know what I expect next, there will be, within the next 30 days, parts of the country, they will begin to lift restrictions. They will come with specific guidance and some mandates. Those mandates will include things like wearing a mask, even an improvised mask, which, no, it won't protect you from the virus. What it will do is keep your spit off of other people's stuff, which helps prevent spread. And I think you're going to have some places where like, you literally will be approached by authorities saying, here is a mask, put it on or go home. Or you can go to jail. Whether I'm for that or against that is irrelevant to the it will happen. Do you understand? Like, My opinion about that, whether they should be able to do that or not, is irrelevant to you having to deal with it. No, I don't, just to be clear, I don't think that they should be able to force you to do it. But it will work. Just because I don't think you should be able to do something doesn't mean it doesn't work. And I also think that if something's the right thing to do, and you know it's the right thing to do, and it's mandated, you don't disobey the mandate just because you don't want to be told what to do, now you're acting like a child. So I think there's a lot of things we can do to limit spread. I also think there's a natural curve here. And how much we're limiting it remains to be seen. But the bigger that denominator is, which is the total number of cases, which is not 335,000 in the United States, it has to be in the millions, folks. If this stuff spreads the way they say it does, that number has to be in the millions. The bigger that number is, the faster this curve goes and the more permanent the other side is. Because the danger is, and this is what they're afraid of, if they open it back up, as the cases are dwindling, they may surge again. It's a legitimate concern. The bigger the denominator, the less likely. The more that natural curve's already occurred. Now, if you want to know why, in spite of the fact that I never thought this this disease was bad enough originally to get this bad, I have not been surprised by anything that's happened. You can go way back to 2008. Maybe it was two thousand nine, I'm not sure, but I did a show on pandemics and what it would look like almost ten years ago. I'll put a link in the show notes today. Guess what? If you listen to it, it looks exactly like it does here. But just do not buy into the shit that there is no problem. That it's all a lie just to lock you down. Because I think and I posted about this on Facebook and it it it, it hurts my brain to see the way people respond to this. The government does not Want you locked in your home. One more time. The government, tiny brain people, does not want this. They do not want this. They do not want this. They do not want this. If they could throw a switch and make this all go away, they would this second. They would have done it yesterday. You're attributing to malice what can be explained through incompetence. They do not want this. They do not want this. They do not want this, tiny brain people. They don't, this is not good for government. What you're saying is the, the dairy farmer wants eighty percent of his cows taken off the milking line because it benefits him. You are a tax cow. You are milked by your financial tits to supply the government with money and power. If you are home not doing not riding your your your, your stationary bike that puts energy into the economy, you are a milking cow not being milked. That's what you are. And now I still have to feed you and care for you, but you don't produce anything. They don't want this. That does not mean they won't take advantage of it. That doesn't mean they won't use it to grow the power and size of government. They'll use anything to grow the power and size of government. You know what days they use excuses to grow the power and size of government? Every one that ends in Y. But they don't want this. And you have to stop seeing a conspiracy everywhere in everything, or you become incapable of using logic anymore. And what happens is that person becomes convinced they're the only one losing using logic. There's another danger here. And there's a person that used to be close to this show that's not anymore. You can figure that out for yourself if you want to. But if you stay in the world of prepping too long, or long enough I should say, there's two places you get to. One where you become really, really prepared and you become very confident in yourself and you live life very empowered. The other one you slide off the cliff. And you become convinced something really bad is going to happen sooner or later, and everybody's lying about it, and it's about to happen now. And you start ranting and raving like a lunatic about things that you know will happen that there's no clear evidence for, like you might have been convinced a year ago, I don't know, that the electrical grid was going to be attacked and go down, and it was, not might, was going to happen. But then it didn't. But then this comes. And this is a real problem. And then all of a sudden, you go into a darkness from which you cannot return, and everything is going exactly the way the prepper porn book said it would, and it's the end of all life, and ah! And again, if you're that person, either pull yourself out of it or find a window and jump. Society will survive. This is not the apocalypse, this is not the end of the world, this is not our Armageddon. Let me tell you the worst case scenario here. You know what? All this lockdown shit's not working, there's nothing we can do about it, screw it, everybody go back to life, and 2% of us die sucks. You know what? Life goes on. Like John said, most of the people that die will be older people. Their kids will cry, have a funeral and spend their money. We've lost way more of the population than 2% in the past. That's the worst case scenario. And most of the people are older people. And I I have something else to say about this too before we move on. Immunity and innate immune response is key here. And this thing, we're like, well, we have 37 young people that were in great health and had no underlying health conditions, and they're dead now, and it proves it can get anybody. No, it doesn't. It proves it can get those 37 people, and we are not asking the question, like, what was different about those 37 people? Do they vape? Was the guy that died a doctor in an ER that might have been exposed to 27 different versions of this thing or two versions of this thing and three other things at the same time who was working freaking 22-hour shifts seven days a week, barely getting any sleep? Was that who died? Was the person that died somebody that just, you know, they're not an alcoholic. Oh, you really, you know that? Did they just go on a seven-day bender right before they got sick? Like the spring break or something where they were drunk every day? Does this person have a deficiency of a particular micro or macronutrient in their body? There is that too, but it can hit people outside of that group. But what it looks like from the, from the, the data that we have so far About 50% of the people who died from this, within 6 to 12 months, would have died anyway. Now, if that takes away 6 months or 8 months with a loved one from you, God, that sucks. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if we're talking about it as though it were the apocalypse, we're kind of missing something. So there is a middle ground here where we balance these two worlds... It's not a conspiracy that somebody made up and there is no such thing as COVID, which a person I highly respect told me that recently. And he was going to convince me with a million things. And when I brought up my friend who's an ER physician in Seattle, he had no answer to that. It was, it shut the whole thing down. You know, you can watch all the YouTube videos you want of empty tents. It doesn't, it does it doesn't matter. There's places that are building massive... I I actually think a lot of those places will never get used. And I think some of the reason is because of the social distancing. Not all of it, but some of it. Every single place is following this curve. I put out graphs today of of four nations in Europe. You can see it looks the same, and it's all in the same timing. And if you you factor in when they put the restrictions in, it's all exactly the same. There's some variations, but the overall macro of the curve is the same. So it is real, it's a problem, and no matter what we should be doing, we know what they are doing, and we have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do, and you need to figure out how you deal with that, rather than rant and rave that's the end of the world, or rant and rave about how wrong it is. Now you can point out, the, I'm all for pointing out mistakes. Not using hydroxychloroquine early is a mistake, I'll point that out. But in the end, you're still going to have to deal with it. That's why we talk about quercetin and zinc. Because that's the thing that you can do that might help you, maybe. So that's what you do. That's where the mindset needs to be. What do I do to deal with this and come out of it as good as possible? And we got more on that coming. One last thing before we leave that, though. The underlying illness thing is getting way glossed over by a lot of people. Let me read what it says on the New York report. And, again, I have a link to it in the show notes today. Underlying illnesses include diabetes, lung disease, cancer, immunodeficiency, heart disease, hypertension asthma, kidney disease, and GI liver disease. Um, The number of Americans that have one or more of those conditions is huge, and there's one they left off that is probably the most prominent underlying condition that affects this out there, obesity. America is one of the most obese countries on the planet and without these interventions or some intervention, like I said, maybe these aren't the right ones, I think the death rate would be a lot higher because there's a lot of what they call comorbidities there. This one relates to COVID now, but it, it, it's, it's a general preparedness topic. So I'll go ahead and read it for you. Dylan says, heard uh, on the Grocers Association on the radio urging people not to hoard and develop seven-day meal plans so that there's plenty left on the shelf. This is a good time for the TSP community to understand their stocking levels. When I heard this, I thought of your quote, when the supply is dry, they lie. I'm sure the supply is just fine, like the president says, but that's the whole point of storing 30 days. Because you never know when it's going to not be fine, uh, and it's out of supermarket news, and I'll uh, I'll put a link to it. Okay, so tr- generalizing this, I have been teaching a thirty to sixty day supply of all needs for your readiness plan for over twelve years. From the fr- if you go back and listen to the first two weeks of TSP, like episodes one through ten. I don't even know, but I just about guarantee you in there, you're going to hear me say something about thirty to sixty days minimum preparedness. Of all things, that's food, medical supplies, money, everything. You need to be able to be self sufficient for minimum thirty and better sixty days. And I've always taught that once you're there, if you do that again, you got 120 days, and then you can get through almost anything that would have come your way. And that is the mindset we need to be in. And the problem for me right now is I can't teach people to do that right now because it's difficult. And you're exasperating the existing problem if you go try to go from zero to 60 days of food right now. And the limitations the stores are putting in, which I'm all for, by the way. And, 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 oh my God, you're restricting commerce. I, the government's not the one putting those restrictions in, is it? Donald Trump didn't say to Walmart, hey, hey, hey. You tell people they can only have two packages of pork tenderloins. Walmart looked at it and said, holy shit, this is crazy. We're putting a limit of two items, of any one item up. Okay. And I wish they would have done it sooner because we wouldn't be in this mess. I heard from somebody that's in the military and what they did with the PX, they put a bunch of MPs inside the damn PX, which is the like the military grocery store. And they put a limit on the number of items. And if you start some shit with somebody over it, they, they thump you. The MPs will thump your ass, by the way, and they'll take you to to, to take you to jail. <laughs> to take you to the freaking hold, man. Um, and there's no fights, there's no arguments, and there's food on the shelves. Just like that. See, the military jumps on shit like that a hell of a lot quicker than the civilian world does. And, you know, the other side of it is military guys will get in fights, trust me. Especially Marines, you Marines, man. And soldiers too. A navy maybe depends on which navy guys you're talking about. Air Force just tries to get out of the way of stuff like that. But army and army and the Marine Corps, man, they'll start some fights with each other quick. Um, you're trained to fight, but they're also trained to follow regulation. And so when they're told this is the policy now, they kind of get on board with it. Uh, civilians take a little bit longer to on board with policies like that. But if the store just won't sell it. Most people fall into compliance pretty quickly. So I'm I'm glad to see that, but this is a textbook explanation of why I've always made that recommendation. If you have 60 days of of readiness in your home, nothing about this should have been that big a deal. And, you know, maybe some of it just worked out. Like the money has not come yet from the checks that they're sending out for the spendless bill, right? But it will. If you got 60 days' worth of the ability to sustain yourself, you don't care that it's not here yet, and that will give you a little bit more. Most people, if you're unemployed, for three months the spend a list bill is going to match whatever you're missing in unemployment. Some people may actually end up with more money. And by the way, in a lot of cases, nothing to spend it on other than bills and food. So a lot of the wasted spending's not happening because there's no place to go do it. So if you have 60 days readiness right now, and if you don't want that number to dwindle, getting enough each week or every two weeks for the next 7 to 14 days is not that hard to do in most of the, the situations right now. So you're at a point now where you're only resupplying what you're using and you're still maintaining your reserves in case something goes really wacky during this. And that could be localized, like tornadoes or something to wipe out all the damn stores around you or who knows what. Or some major cluster where you really can't go out at all for three weeks or something. But it doesn't. whatever could have ever gone wrong, the 30- to 60-day plan is the best plan for most people. It's the best plan because, number one, no matter what excuses you make, you can do it. I live paycheck to paycheck. You need to fix that. I can't do it right now. There's a pandemic. Okay, you should have fixed that in the past. No one taught you that. You didn't find the show till now. I'll give you a pass. Now you just got to get by until you until you get out of, out of this. But once we get out of this, you need to fix that. Whether you need to do DoorDash to make some money, whether you need to get on a budget and cut spending you shouldn't be ha- doing, whether you need a better job, whatever it is, you need to freaking do whatever it takes to where you can actually save some money. And in a single year, there is no reason that the average person in this country, which is still the wealthiest country in the world, cannot be in a position where they have the ability to pay their bills for 60 days. Now, that might be savings they really don't want to do it with, but it's there in case they need it. And they can't just stay in their damn home for 60 days if they had to. They may be bored. They may be down to some stuff they really don't want to eat, but they should be able to live and not have their life that much altered. Pay all your bills and feed yourself for 60 days. That's the plan, man. And it's the plan we've been teaching for 12 years, and it's the plan I'll be teaching for another 12 at least. If COVID don't take me out or something else don't take me out, I will probably do my last episode of this show. It'll probably be about damn 30 years of it. That's kind of what my mind has on a timeline. Now, by the time I get there, I might be doing three or four days a week instead of five. Um, but I guarantee you that kind of the final words I'll say that I'll sign off unless I, you know something takes me out and I don't get to do it will be, remember always, 30, 60 days res- readiness plan. And you can't tell me that the people that have done that aren't in a hell of a lot better shape than the people that didn't right now, this moment, in the worst thing for a national disaster that we have seen in our lives. It's almost like it works. On that note, Mason um, from Georgia says, I'm a lapsed listener, and I've missed the last three to four years of the podcast. I checked back this week, and I regret what I've missed. I was a permanent Ethos founder former Crypto Goats miner, and soon-to-be renewed MSB member. Tonight, I'm spending my first night on 5.7 acres with 700 feet of f- creek footage. My permaculture mind is brimming with possibilities. Georgia's shelter in place started at 6 p.m. today. We made our move just under the wire. I can't tell you how much your show has prepared me for this. Last week, I was able to go into our crawl space and get four pounds of flour for my wife, who has visited several sold-out grocery stores. Tomorrow, me and my six-year-old will make beans and rice that she helped me prep and store when she was three. The seeds are planted not just for the garden, but for a little mind that knows how important it is to prepare for disasters and develop self-sufficiency where possible. Thank you for your show and the education that's provided. I'm proud to call a redneck hippie duck farmer my lifestyle guru. Um, this is uh, Dr. Mason Conk, Dr. Mason from uh, Ball Ground, Georgia. Well, Mason, thank you, man. I appreciate you giving me that feedback, and I appreciate you being an example and and kind of pointing that out. Um, Next up from John. John says, what is the best way for a middle-aged, slightly overweight man to improve flexibility? I've experienced a significant decline in my flexibility over the last few years. I'm concerned uh, this may contribute to injury. Example, several years ago, no pain. My plantar fasciitis has recently started flaring up. As a side note, I eat a gluten-free diet and avoid joint pain from inflammation. With that, thanks, John. Well, if you do well gluten-free, you might do better keto, John. And I'd say the number one thing I would advise anybody to do that's overweight is to stop being overweight. So whether you do it through caloric restriction, whether you do it through keto, no matter how you do it, I recommend that you get into a true ideal body weight, which might be more than the government says you're supposed to weigh. But if you know you're overweight, you're probably more overweight than you think you are. A lot of people say, you know, I could lose 20 pounds. Probably need to lose 30. I mean, really, I, you know, and one of the biggest um, dangers here with the overweight thing is there's people that can function highly and look good carrying the extra weight. The weight still is a problem. So number one, lose the weight. Uh, Number two, get into some level of conditioning that involves flexibility without hurting yourself. The number one, I, 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 I still say this, the number one exercise human beings should be doing that they don't do enough of is walking. And it ain't got to be power walking or, you know, anything like And I don't mind it. I mean, if you want to power walk, if you want to put some weight on your back, if you want to wear ankle weights or wrist weights or something, that's all fine. But what you really got to do is walk. And, and right now, if that means making laps in your backyard, that's fine. If it means, you know, a lot of y'all, you walk around your neighborhood or whatever. Some of y'all live in some neighborhoods you don't want to walk around. I understand that. But a lot of you walk around the block or whatever and just stay away from people. And nobody bothers you. Um, but... I would say a minimum two miles of walking a day. The other thing is I would say is look into getting into some sort of a discipline that is specific to improving flexibility and body posture. My favorite one would be Tai Chi. And that could be as simple as get yourself a DVD or a download or something that, I bet you there's Tai Chi, I never even thought of this, I bet there's Tai Chi apps that work with like Apple TV and shit too. And Tai Chi to me is a Almost totally useless martial art as a martial art. I say almost totally useless because I believe a Tai Chi practitioner who trains in other true combat martial arts will be better at those other combat martial arts because they will have better posture, they will have better stance, they will have better balance, they will be better all around. But if you only take Tai Chi, I find it to be a fundamentally useless martial art. And you can show me whatever videos you want, and I'll show you a Tai Chi master getting his ass beat by a plain old MMA amateur rank fighter. Okay? I'm just saying. So I'm not recommending Tai Chi for its martial art component. However, I will say, I bet you anybody who is a martial artist that also does Tai Chi is probably better at that martial arts for it. One reason is the flexibility and the balance and the posture that it brings. Uh, kind of my second to it, and very, very similar discipline is Kijong. Either of those. Yoga would be right up there. Well, I put yoga and Tai Chi at the same level of effectiveness in different ways. And just basic simple stretching is, is, is a huge thing that you can do, and don't bounce when you stretch. Um, as old as I am, I could still bend over and put my palms flat on the ground with my legs straight. Because I stretched all the time. I've always stretched. I can, you know, lay down and do a, a hurdler stretch, grab my toe and by the ball of the foot and pull it back with my back straight. Um, if you're not there, do what you can. And the key with stretching to me is you take it to where it almost hurts and hold it, but don't hurt yourself. Then come out of the stretch and you'll find when you go to where it almost hurts again, you can go further. And doing that three or four times in each stretch, going just a little further, or if you get to the same point and you're getting to that point where it starts to hurt, stop and hold. And hold for a 10-count, a 20-count, whatever works for you. But I'll tell you straight up, as you lose weight, your flexibility will naturally improve as well. But Kijong Yoga Tai Chi, I would pick one of those. Um, I don't. If anybody's got an app that you would recommend for any of those, I would, I would, you know, say send it, and we'll put it in the show notes or whatever in the future. Um, let me tell you why I like Tai Chi, especially right now. Though, I've always found yoga to be something I don't enjoy. I just don't. I don't enjoy it, and even though as you progress through Tai Chi, you will get into some poses that you will hold that will be every bit as stressful as at least moderate yoga poses. So it's not that I don't like kind of the pain, I guess, the threshold, of pain that you push with some yoga stuff. It's that it's just boring. It's not a movement discipline. It's a posture discipline. Tai Chi and Kijong both are movement and posture disciplines. And the movement and the flow that's in Tai Chi is very good, for me anyway, for the mind. And I know people get a lot of mental benefit from yoga. I don't. And I've found in talking to people that have tried both that people tend to get the mental benefit much quicker and much more regularly from Tai Chi because the movement itself puts one into a rhythm And God, I think that's beneficial right now. So I would say to many of you all out there that aren't even having these problems, if you're looking for something to develop right now, it would be better to to train with a practitioner that can correct your form and what have you. But getting a good instructor-led app or video, Tai Chi, is a wonderful art for what it is. Uh, next up real quick, Stephen from Detroit, and I'll put a link to this as well in the show notes for you. Uh, Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, Michigan, is leading a hydrochloroquine study. Um, they are going to be taking it as a prophylactic. So healthcare workers obviously are being exposed to COVID at a very high rate. We have kind of a known percentage of them to get infected. We don't need a control in our study because we know how many get infected without any protection. Uh, So you can also say they did or didn't have mass or whatever. All that data exists. Epidemiologists can go through that and sort data tables so they're happy. But they're giving a certain percentage of these people hydroxychloroquine as a preventative. um, And that's good. And I'm I'm, I'm very glad that they're doing that. I think they'll find that it is quite effective. One thing I, I keep saying, though, is I really feel this medication is not being used properly right now by the majority of people using it. What they're doing now is they're taking people that are probably going to die without it and giving it to them. And that sounds great, except those people are probably going to die with it in a lar- to a large degree. And this is what I think people need to understand. The virus itself, which is COVID SARS-2, is not the problem in of itself. It is the condition of pneumonia and lung damage that it leads to. Well, if you take someone with bad, bad pneumonia and lung damage to the point where they need a tube put down their throat and to be on a respirator, if you had a magic wand and could go, ta-da, and the virus immediately left their body, they still have a problem. That pneumonia and that lung damage is still there. There is a flat reality to this, and this is backed by the data, it's backed by science, it's backed by doctors, This is average numbers because there's outliers, but a person gets the disease and they present with symptoms at about day five if they're going to have significant symptoms at all. They have a fever, they have you know difficulty breathing or whatever, and they go to the doctor or they go to the hospital and they get a test and they go, ding, 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 you have COVID. But if they're not in really bad shape and don't need to be in a hospital, they're sent home with almost no treatment whatsoever and told to hydrate and hope. About day 10, they come back with severe pneumonia and they end up in the hospital and then they're giving these experimental treatments. It is that five-day window in which we know they have this and they're not yet in the hospital that we need to address whatever weakness in the innate re- immune response there is. And one of the ways that we see that looks like it works to do that is a combination of hydroxychloroquine and zithromycin, a.k.a. a Z-PAC. You may or may not need that, and there is a cardiac risk for some people with the zithromycin, which we can determine really, really quick, either through medical history or a simple EKG that we can do with a $100 attachment to an iPhone if that person falls into that risk group, in which case they could still be given the hydroxychloroquine without the zithromycin, and supply is not an issue. They've stockpiled 29 million doses, and they're still making more of it. And Trump's point last night that he kept trying to make is, it won't kill people, we know that, we've been using it forever, and it might help, so let's try it. And so to me, the case now is education. I want you to know this, and I want you to not shut up about it to your loved ones. And if you have a loved one specifically in a known risk group, by age or underlying condition, and they get COVID, they need to say, I want this now. And if their doctor says, well, I can't, bullshit then you need to find a doctor who can. And my understanding is the executive orders out of people like Como in New York, since the FDA has approved it for off-label use, have no teeth. They may exist, but they have no teeth. Now, I have heard in some states the pharmacies will refuse to to fill the prescription. If that is anybody involved in that decision-making, you have blood on your hands. Because you're denying a medication that might help to a person who might need it. And to me, you have blood on your hands for that. You are a horrible human being. If if you have the ability to influence that decision, you've influenced it to the negative, you are a horrible person. You are a horrible human being. And there's no justification for what you're doing. There is no shortage of this medication. And the people are like, I have lupus, I need this. This is the good thing about this. You will never have to worry about a shortage of this medication ever again. By the way, you should have had 30 to 60 days of that medication anyway. Anyway. But now there are 29 million doses available in the strategic stockpile, and if your doctor needs it, he can get it, and it is no longer an excuse. Please don't let it be one. Please make sure your loved ones are informed, and please make sure that they understand that it should also be taken, especially when taken early the way it should be used, with zinc, zinc. And if your doctor doesn't understand that, zinc is over-the-counter. I'm just going to say that, and you figure out what to do with that information. But hydroxychloroquine, among other things, is a powerful ionophore for zinc, meaning it gets zinc into the cells. A coronavirus is an RNA-replicating virus. If you put zinc in the cell with an RNA-replicating virus, it disrupts viral replication. One more time, not new science. Nothing different about COVID as to that fact. If you put zinc in the cells with an RNA-replicating virus, you disrupt viral replication, which is a good thing. Done. Can't turn it into the chloroquine podcast either, but God stay informed on this. Let's stop pretending this doesn't work. All right. Now, um, this is something I don't know a lot about. I got a call from my buddy David today. Say, hey, you need to check into this, and I'm going to check into it. I have John Pugliano on the case as to who can do this and how. Um but the CARES Act, which is this giant spendless bill of 2.5 trillion dollars where you're going to get a check and oh, extra unemployment and all has provisions for loans to small businesses. One of the provisions I heard so much about is that if your business has less than 500 employees that you can borrow up to 10 million dollars and I'm sure there's a bottom threshold for this, so up to 10 million, right? Um As long as you make payroll and don't cut headcount, the loan becomes a grant and you don't pay it back. This is an incentive that even if your people aren't working, to pay them. You borrow the money, you pay your people, they stay employed, doesn't go against you for unemployment insurance, it's not your money, you borrowed it, but you don't pay it back, so why wouldn't you keep your people on? Well, that doesn't really apply to me. And my business is not in distress. Turns out. There is what's known as the payroll protection provision that applies to sole proprietors. Your humble host is a sole proprietor. And what they say is if you can prove you have payroll, you make payroll to yourself. Now, see, I don't run a payroll. I don't run a W-2 payroll to myself. It's way too much work for a person in my position. And most people of my size wouldn't. I just distribute money to myself, and I put money aside for investing, and I put money aside for taxes, and I put money aside for expenses. Like most self-employed people do. But things like 1099 miscellaneous 1099-Ks apparently would work for proof of payroll. So it's a loose way they're using that word. My understanding is a sole proprietor can borrow $10,000, pay themselves with it, not pay the money back. So any self-employed person needs to look into this. And I don't know what the provisions are. My understanding is you do not have to show any hardship in your business. This is part of the stimulus bill. So if you're a small business, one or two people, and you can show that you've had income and revenue in that business in the past, you've paid taxes on that, it apparently is the case you can borrow up to $10,000, have it, but I see, I, you also got to figure out what do I have to do to prove to you that I use the money to pay myself. Now, it doesn't matter what happened with other money, but I paid myself at least this 10... I can pay myself $5,000 a month for two months. I'm okay with that. And then you just get to keep the money. Now, I don't know if there's any gotchas in there yet. So I'm not saying everybody should do it. I'm saying anybody that is a small business person like our own Nicole Sauce, who runs the roasting coffee roasting company... Uh, our own Brian Norton, who runs a coffee roasting company. Buddy John Dowie, who runs a microgreens business, whose business is hurt by this. And I'm going to say one more time about this. It's socialism. Yeah, it's socialism. Look, all I can think when I can find a way to get my money back that I've had taken from me in the form of tax, which I consider theft, is how do, how much can I get back how fast? I'll make you guys a promise. If ever there comes a day that the government gives me more than they've taken from me, any penny that comes beyond that, I will give away to charity. I don't think I can live long enough for that to happen. I don't think that can work. I don't think I can, I don't think the debt that they owe me will ever be repaid no matter how many stimuluses there are. And if you are due money back, and you don't want it because you think it's socialism, feel free to send the money to me. I will send you a bill for it. You can deduct it from your taxes next year if you're smart enough to do that. Um, this is, again, I'm back to there's what I think they should do, and there's what they're doing. And my job, the same way we approach bullying when i brought counselors on it to talk about how do we deal with bullying in schools, it's fine to talk about mile-high solutions to make less bullying. But if it's your kid being bullied right now, we don't have time to wait. It's all good and well to say, well, if we've had a COVID vaccine, this problem would be over. We'll have one in a year. Well, we don't have a year. We have now. We have what we have available now to deal with it if you get it, right? And we can talk about how we should run a government or not even have a government and have a stateless. I guarantee you, people are like, well, Jack, you're an anarchist. What if we was in anarchy right now? What would be done about this? I guarantee you there would be tons of options as to how you did or did not participate in this pandemic and in anarchy. Tons of ways that you could choose where you went, what you did, and how you what you had to do to be able to go there because we would recognize the right of, of, of private property. It doesn't exist. We have what we have, so we have to deal with it. One of the things that exists is what they've done with all this money that they're spending. And instead of bitching that it's a it's a handout to big business, you need to figure out how you can participate in it, which includes informing your employer about this. Some of you are laid off. You need to, like, get with it and go to your employee and say, hey look, you can bring us back you can borrow this money you can pay us to stay home on payroll and you can keep it and maybe you can borrow more than you need to do this and maybe you can make the business better so that when we come back, we all have something to do. I'm telling my son today, you need to talk to your employer about this. They have a part time guy who lived let go he's a fireman so he's still got work on the other side of it They could reduce my son's hours, let him work three or four days a week, bring the other guy back, pay everybody their full rate, their typical full rate. They do run payroll. They have more than just those employees. They could basically use this money to make payroll, have everybody work a little less to be able to better deal with it, not cost them a dime, and maybe expand their business while this is going on so they're ready to hit the ground running when it ends. If that applies to you and you don't do it, you're just stupid, right? The, 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 the morality is I, really what you're saying is I don't, it's too much work and I don't want to figure out how to do it because the morality is bullshit. There's not a damn one of you that say that, that really you have an opposition to it because I guarantee you when your $1,200 check comes or whatever the hell it ends up being, you ain't going to send it back. So these other things that are a gift to big business, what have I said for years? Stop bitching about business and get in business. Stop bitching that businesses don't pay tax and have a business so you can stop paying so much tax. And they still take more than they should. But at least you've done something about it. This is really, I can't wait to hear what John has to say about this. I kind of put him on the case and I expect to hear from him on Friday's show about it. But any information you guys can provide, I would love to have and I will disseminate to the audience. With that, we've wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. Remember, right now is a great time to become a member because I am stupid. And I made a promise, and I never break them, even when they're stupid promises. And I'm keeping the MSB on sale for $25 a year, that does apply to recurring memberships, until the national lockdowns end. Until the federal government says, hey, governors, y'all do what you want now. Because right now, just one thing on that, the president doesn't have you locked in your house. Your governor does. The the federal government put out guidelines and the governors decided at their own speed what to do. Texas we didn't go to a stay at home order until last week. We were at just a social distancing order. It doesn't really look much different, by the way. But when the when the federal government says, Hey, y'all don't have to do this everywhere anymore, the sale goes away, but until it's twenty five bucks, discount code is twenty five bucks. And if you spell out twenty five with T W E N no, don't do that. Two, five bucks is the discount code. If you have any trouble signing up, let me know. You can find out how to do that at the survivalpodcast.com at the members tab. Uh, next, you can always do your online shopping where tspaz.com. If you do your online shopping at tspaz.com, you help us no matter what you buy. And I've got something new for you today, but I'm going to go short with it because I did talk about it on Friday. It is Sacred 7 mushroom extract powder. Sacred 7 mushroom extract powder. It is called Sacred 7 because it's made up of seven mushrooms, all of which have been found to have anti-cancer properties. This came to be my nurse Amy, she gave me a study that goes along with it. We're using five of these seven mushrooms were tested for reducing what's known as a cytokine storm during cancer treatments, which is a real risk. And her her assertion was if it does that for cancer, treatment, and we know it does because this study conclusively says that it does reduce the incidence and severity of cytokine storm, it might do the same for someone if they get COVID because cytokine storm is one of the big complications where people end up on respirators and the immune system goes into overdrive and keeps attacking its own cells. So that was her reasoning. My reasoning was this. Um, several years ago, I heard Paul Stamets give a speech that moved me to my core about his mother being diagnosed with cancer and told, go make arrangements. There's nothing we can do for you. If we try to treat you, we'll just ruin what quality of life you have left. That's a horrible diagnosis. She called him. He put her on several different mushrooms. Sixty days later, her doctor said, I don't know why, but you've improved so much that we can actually treat you now. And she said to the doctor, okay. And she talked to her son and said, do I tell them what I'm doing? He said, do not tell them what you're doing. I think that what they're proposing will probably—I don't know—I'm not a doctor. You should do what they're saying too, but keep taking them and don't tell them, no matter what you do. He ended that talk with, and that was five years ago. when I spoke to my mother this morning, and since then I've I've done some different mushroom products and things, but I've always found them to be pretty expensive. And like you're buying, you know, lion's mane capsules or something like that. I've tried to add mushrooms to my diet, and you can only do so much mushrooms and. I found this product that Amy recommended. An eight ounce bag has 322 servings and it costs 45 bucks, which is 14 cents a day or 28 cents for my wife and I. And one bag will last my wife and I 161 days or five months. It's mushrooms. It's seven amazing mushrooms shaga, turkey tail, mataki, coryceps, reishi, right? These are all lion's mane. I mean, these are all mushrooms that have a huge body of work behind them saying that they are anti-cancer properties to them. So whether it does jack crap for COVID or not, I'm taking it because it's too cheap not to. It's 100 uh, milligrams of each mushroom, all seven in a quarter teaspoon. I throw it in my coffee, I mix it up, I don't even taste it. It's such a small amount. Um, That's the only way I know to get all of those in me every day for that price. And this is a hell of a good product. And Amy, who is a nurse practitioner, which would be like somewhere between a Registered nurse and a doctor. They can diagnose illnesses. They can prescribe medication, et cetera. They're beyond what a nurse can do, even an RN. Um, You know, I really trust her judgment. And so when she found this product, I'm like, okay, this is the product I've been looking for. I'm taking it. I have a link to that study in the write up today. I have all the information in the write up today. I'm not saying this stuff treats, cures, prevents anything. I can't. I'm not going to Club Fed. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be one. All I'm telling you is a registered nurse practitioner making an evaluation, who said, I want to do whatever I can for my husband. Because Doc is older than you think he is. Like, he makes fun of himself being old and all. One of the reasons he does that, he really is a lot older than he looks. You know, Bones looks like he's freaking 55 years old. He is not. I won't say how old he is, but he is not. In fact, he looks like, he looks like a good 50. He's not even close. And he has some underlying health conditions. So Amy was looking for something that might be a benefit. This is what she chose for herself and for him. I'll tell you one thing about those two. They love each other. She's chosen it for him. She's she'd done her research. I just look at it and go, what a great product for the price. What a great product for the price. So check it out. But remember, no matter what you buy, you can support our show by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. It brings us to our song of the day. We're beginning Neil Diamond Week. Let me tell you something about Neil Diamond. I'm not a fan. Don't dislike him. Just not a fan. I do not have a Neil Diamond-themed Pandora uh, station. For example, um, I have a bunch of stations, some that I've been training since 2013, I think. It's one of my oldest ones. I have a Bob Seeger one I've been training since 2013, seven years. I don't think I have a Neil Diamond song on any of my, my Pandora stations. I even have a James Taylor. So I'm not a huge fan. But I don't dislike him. I'd never heard this song before. turns out it was his first single, and it's called Brooklyn Roads. And maybe I need a real th- rethink. I mean, Neil Diamond's to me has always been kind of cheesy, chappy, Vegasy kind of thing. With in my mind, up you know, in the same vein, differently than like a Barry Manilow or something. Um, but this song, again, was his first single. Here's what Neil said about this song: "I just signed with MCA Records, and I wanted to stretch my creative writings." This is the most literal and personal story I've written up to that point. Brooklyn Roads told of my youth and my aspirations. I love the freedom of being able to write something without the charts in mind. Wow. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe I need to give Neil another chance. And I started thinking about the, the music that I do know of by Neil Diamond and how it's all very... Story based. It's all very narrative based, and I'm sure some of it's based on fact and some of it's based on fantasy, but it all tells a story, and I really like that. The story of this includes things like how being a kid in school, he didn't really give a shit about school and created his own world of dragons and stuff by doodling and drawing. And man, if that doesn't take you back to being when you were in school, I just don't know what kind of childhood you had. Maybe, maybe you didn't you didn't have to worry about that because you was homeschooled and you got to follow your dreams anyway. But for a lot of us, man, I think this song really. Even if it's not exactly the same way your childhood was and your youth was, you'll relate to it. And and, man, John Adam, this is why you pick the songs and I don't, so that we get exposed to things like that. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
0: see two boys racing up two flights, of staircase, squirming into Papa's embrace, and his whiskers warm on their face. Where's oh, it gone? Oh, where's it gone? Two floors above the butcher, first door on the right. In life filled to the brim as I stood by my window and looked out on those Brooklyn roads. I can still recall smells of cooking in the hallways, robes drying in the doorways, and report cards. I was always. Show I'm not come to school, and as I sit there softly crying, teachers say he's just not trying, got a good head and feet not lying, but you know yourself, it's always somewhere else. I built me a castle with dragons and kings And I'd ride off with them as I stood by my window And looked out on those Brooklyn Road. all strangers faces and all the scars that love erases But as my mind walks through those places I'm wondering What's come of them Some of the young boy Come home to my room What I did is he stands by my window and looks out on those Brooklyn Rose Brooklyn roads.